Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, this is Dr. Simon, and uh, the stories we live by is the show. And today, I wanted to talk a little bit about stories of parents and children, and children and parents, and children and grandparents, and parents and uh, their parents, um, intergenerational stories, and, and the, the, the problems of growing up and becoming mature. In one of my last shows, I discussed the idea of maturity. So perhaps a good place to start is to kind of give you my definition of maturity. And um, again, maturity is a, is a value judgment. If I say someone is mature or immature, it's my values uh, that, that say this is a good thing. Because generally, to say that someone is mature is to be seen as a good thing. And to say that somebody is immature, uh, you get your punch in the nose if you say someone is immature. When you say a child is immature or an adult is immature, the implication is that they have not grown up properly. Now, when you start to describe what you mean by maturity, that's a whole other story. Because while we all might agree it's good to become mature and grow up, uh, I don't think that uh, we might all agree as to the definition of maturity. In fact, many of the people around me uh, define maturity as adjusting to adulthood or adjusting to the world. Uh, and to me, that is a, 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 not a good definition of maturity. Um, to me, uh, a definition of maturity has a kind of a two-pronged effect. And I suppose, because I thought about this while I was thinking about the show, that the same definition of mental health, to me, would be a definition of maturity for an adult. Uh, and to me, then, maturity and mental health, the same thing, although I mean mental health in a moral sense, uh, in a psychological sense, not in a medical sense. Again, mental health is not uh, uh, anything more, not a medical term. It has no, no doctor's should be able to define it. I mean, the culture defines what is maturity or mental health. The culture and each of us within the culture has our own variation of the definition of it. And so to me, uh, a mature individual is one who's creative. And I've said this many times before um, on this show, uh, being creative is a kind of a, a balancing act, a very difficult balancing act. And it involves, on the one hand, really being able to find out what you love and what you're good at, becoming really good at it, and then finding a way of living with other people in spite of the fact or because of the fact that you are uh, a really unique individual, that you see the world and speak of the world and describe yourself in it in a way that nobody else can. Hiya, Marion. How are you? Um, so, so that the balancing act is always uh, uh, a difficult thing, and getting your kids to grow up to be mature means finding a way of helping them uh, develop the creativity, being able to, to help others uh, with your unique view. Uh, you know, again, you, there have been many mass murderers who have creative in the sense of being unique and individualistic. But I always put this other demand on it, that if you're mature, you live in the world with other people. 
You get along with other people. But not as a robot, not as part of a mob. And all around me, I see uh, religions and I see political parties demanding uh, blind obedience to authority. And this filters its way down. I think historically the world has been that way. See, if I take the larger view, uh, we're kind of tribal animals. And being loyal to the tribe is extremely important. And I think it is important to be loyal to your family, to your society. But at the same time, not at the cost of individual creativity, individual perception, uniqueness. And so this is the balancing act that I see as mature, being able to uh, turn the world into a reflection of yourself, but at the same time, what you end up with is loved by others and cared for by others, and others say thank you, and you've been of help to them. So I, I see this, this delicate balancing act. And most children, I don't believe, are raised to be creative. I think most people are raised to be part of the mob. Um, I once went to a, a party, a, a Christmas party, and somebody was playing Sheep May Safely Graze. Uh, and I can't tell you that the effect that had on me, thinking about uh, sheep as the metaphor for human beings, that we're part of a flock, that we're faceless, voiceless, part of some kind of a flock. I despise that. Uh, and so many people raise their children to think of themselves as first and foremost being part of a flock. You know, it's interesting that there are two ways you can make your child part of a flock. One is to force them uh, by, by force, physical force, intimidation. Uh, to be the good child is to be the child who listens to authority without question, a kind of a military mindset. And again, I, I'm glad we have a good military. I'm glad uh, uh, that, uh, you know, I'm sad that we need a military. And, and the, the, to me, the fact that the world is not mature is reflected in the fact that the military all over the world seem to get the lion's share of funds and that uh, buying armaments and teaching our children to kill and fight wherever they are in the world and saying that is the height of responsibility and maturity is what I see as a failure of humanity and the failure of all the individual families that have been raised and think that way. And so one is to become part of something that's a mob because you've been forced into it and you don't dare think of your own individual thoughts uh, because they're selfish, they're involved with disobedience. The other thing is to bribe children. I see this all the time now. It's a kind of a force, but a bribing of children. For so many of the adults I see around me, younger adults who are raising children, uh, their, their goal is to have their children get along and to have friends. Uh, wonderful. A life without friends, I think, is a disaster. On the other hand, sometimes you have to say to your friends, I want to be alone. I have some thinking to do, some reading to do, some writing to do, some painting to do, uh, some cooking to do. I hope all of this stuff will be good for other people, but this has to express my inner self. It's, it's who I am. It's what I am. It's what I want to become. And uh, the idea of being popular, 
uh, one of the most sickening things I see in our society, and there's an awful lot in my society that I'm sickened by, is this worship of celebrity. You have to be famous. You have to be the beauty queen. Uh, you have to be the American Idol. And, and again, I have nothing, no, nothing but admiration for a lot of these kids who come on. Uh, but their goal is not to be the best. Their goal is to be popular. And much of popular music, I think, is excrement. It's crap. Great stuff within it. But when I look at stuff in the popular field or the classical field or any field that lasts generations, uh, it is stuff that has a deeper meaning to most people, that it took some time to develop. It took some time alone. It took an expression of individuality. It's not merely what was thrown together at the moment because others might like it, but it was done because uh, it, it expressed a deep need in the individual to do it. Sometimes really creative, beautiful stuff isn't happy. Sometimes it reflects sadness. It reflects uh, the problems within the individual or the problems within their family. So that um, the raising of children to be mature uh, is a kind of a rare thing. And what it requires, I think, is a genuine love and respect for the individuality of the child. Not a discipline that says, I'll bribe you, or go do what you want to do, as long as you're popular, or I'll take your head off, I'll beat you to death with a stick, uh, or uh, I don't love you if you don't behave the way uh, our family rules are, but uh, something that says, uh, this is destructive if you do it, but this is wonderful if you do it. And this requires a certain insight on the part of the adult. How do I express that insight? Well, some time ago, I heard the words, my child. Now, I use them. These are my children. They're my grandchildren. But I understand when I say these are my children or my grandchildren that they're not my children the same way my car, my house, or my keys. They're not my possession. They're on loan. They're their own person. And while I have to guide them and protect them as they're growing up, I think that's a basic responsibility, I have to do it always struggling to recognize what their voice is, what, is, what they have to say, and give them a genuine respect. And I think that when, I think I've defined love a number of times on, on my series, and I think love involves a, a feeling, a deep feeling, that someone or something is as important as you are, as important as your life. And many parents would die for their own children, not for anyone or anything else, but for their children. And so this love, when it's that genuine, and we're not asked to die for it, hopefully that doesn't happen, but when we look at these children, we come to recognize they're not us. They are part of our family. They share our name. We have a responsibility to them, but at the same time, we have to be able to let them go in stages. And so our goal is not obedience, but a genuine respect, a, a genuine sharing of responsibility, uh, a giving to them as they grow more and more responsibility, but more and more freedom to make choices that relate to that responsibility. So I would not ask a two-year-old to go out and earn a living. 
I wouldn't ask a three-year-old to have an equal vote on where we're going to go for our uh, vacation. Uh, although by three, I would listen if they had an opinion. Ultimately, uh, it's our decision because as parents, we pay for all of this. But to give children a respect for their voice, even at the earliest stages, I think is critical. Uh, they don't like a certain food, don't force them to eat it. I, w I grew up that there was a fixed diet, and some of the things in that diet made me, they make me ill as I think of them now. Uh, and, and, and they had to be eaten. My wife can tell the same story. Many of the people I know, this is what you had to eat. This is the family food. And, and you have no choice. And don't you dare say you don't like it. Don't you dare say you don't like school. You love school. Don't you dare say you don't love your sister or your brother. You do love them. And, and the, this constant battering against the individual voice of the growing child reflects an attitude of the adult is that you are mine. Uh, and, and I'll own you and I will do with you as I wish because I'm going to make you into the image I need you to be. Now, very often that image uh, is, is a projection of the individual adult's own failure, sense of failure, that the child has to do for them what they couldn't do. You'll have to go to college because I didn't get a chance to go to college. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be in the military. You're going to do this or that because this is going to give me a pride. Um, one of the things I'm ashamed of that I did with my kids is when they made certain good colleges, and I was very happy when they made them, I put bumper stickers of those colleges uh, on my car. And I really look back on that and I say, see, this wasn't for them. Uh, they were going to this school because I gave them bragging rights. They gave me, I'm sorry, they gave me bragging rights. I could now say they went to this Ivy League school or they went to this fine state university. Now, it wasn't only that. Uh, and I only did that once or twice. I took it down. I took it off the back of the window because I realized what I was saying. Uh, I see this all the time. My child... Uh, bump a sticker, my child is an honest student at something, something junior high school. Wonderful, I'm glad your child is an honest student. What the hell do I need to know that for? Why are you telling me that? Uh, I don't know your child. I look into the car and I see you. Am I supposed to admire you? Did you do this for you or did you do this for them? Now I know we take pride in our children. It's impossible not to. But it's their achievement. And when we're not happy with our lives, we very often demand of our children that they do for us what is necessary for us to do, that, that they substitute their desires for our desires and now become the person we wish we had been able to become or um, that, that, that we wish we had become but we were forced not to become. Because generation after generation after generation very often imposes the same kind of discipline or the same kind of family rules that prevent the kind of definition of maturity that I wish uh, we all had. And again, part of my definition of maturity and growing up on mental health is for my needs. How many people are there who treat their life as if it was worthless? and treat the lives of others as if they were worthless. 
and will kill you. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I once looked at somebody, he says, why are you looking at me that way? You're, you're dissing me. Uh, how powerful is your need, is your feeling of self-contempt if somebody looking at you is is uh, a threat? Uh, it's not what I'm thinking that threatens you. It's what you think that threatens you. Now, of course, the psychiatrists among us will say, well, that's an illness called paranoia. But I don't call that an illness. I call it a failure of an individual to develop a sense of self-respect because they have been so severely punished or they've been so labeled throughout their life because uh, uh, with labels that say they were nothing, they were nobody, they're no damn good because they could not live up to or please the parents or other adults in their life or their teachers. Uh, Again, teachers have a profound effect on their students. Uh, growing up, you spend five hours a day, 25, 30 hours a week with public school teacher. Uh, profound effect, a profound effect on who we become. And how infrequent is it that teachers listen to students? Uh, the more years I taught college, and again, I'm not bragging. I mean, I, this is just how it had to be the more I asked my students to express themselves and write in the best of English, to, to uh, the best organized of essays, to write about those things that were clearly important to them uh, so that they did develop academic skills, they did develop intellectual skills, but it was because of their need to be effective and self-critical, not for mine, not for society. Ultimately, I think society benefits the most from this kind of, of human being. And that's why I'm selfish about it. I like to be in a world with creative people. I went to an art museum yesterday with my wife, and it was uh, one of the big exhibits was local Florida artists uh, being judged. It was a jury uh, um, competition. And some of this stuff was so creative and so wonderful. And, and I can't help but be grateful to the people who uh, contributed to that art and to the museum that put it together. Uh, how much time and how much effort to grow and develop these kind of things that give so much pleasure. Uh, to be in a world with artists is, to me, uh, the most wonderful thing. To, to be in a world with people who create but not destroy. And uh, the, the, the degree of destruction and the ease with which things can be destroyed make it imperative, from my point of view, uh, that children grow up in families in which, yes, they are disciplined, never harshly, never physically, but are at the same time respected. Um, there are really two kinds of morality that we could talk about, both of which in different cultures or different subsettings uh, are defined as mature. One is blind obedience, and the other is a morality that says, I'm going to do what's right because I understand the consequences of my actions in terms of what, how it will affect my future and how it will affect other people. Much harder to develop that kind of morality. Okay? So, so the, the, the more primitive morality, to me, and I'm being judgmental when I say primitive or less, uh, uh, less um, mature, is the individual who says, God said it and I do it, or my mother said it and I do it, 
or the President of the United States says it, and I do it. It's interesting. Somebody uh, pointed out to me that in the American Army, the, the Code of Military Conduct, uh, if a general gives you an order to do something that really goes against your conscience, that goes against your belief that what you're doing is correct and right, according to the rules of engagement, you're supposed to refuse. Now, that's incredibly difficult to do in a military setting where you've been trained to be blindly obedient to leadership. See, But uh, I, I think that even that makes us a stronger army or a stronger society, uh, that when you're told to kill children and women uh, who are not combatants and you refuse, this is a highly creative and mature attitude to take. And you do find people who do act that way. But more often than not, they will follow orders and later say, but I was following orders. You can't hold me responsible. I was following orders. And so I don't like this kind of blind, blind, blind uh, uh, obedience. I hate the word obedience, by the way. I, the whole word bothers me. I like uh, uh, a person who can live and develop self-accepting principles of morality. I follow the Ten Commandments because I understand it's the best way for me to live if I want to live longer, if I want to get along with other people, and I want to be able to have a voice that is respected. Right? Not because everybody will like me and not because I'm afraid to, to, to express myself, uh, so therefore I won't, and it's bad for me to express myself, and I'll be a bad person if I'm critical of the president or I'm critical of, of church leaders. Um, uh, I once had a, an argument with a rabbi, and I said, by what right do you demand the respect if you yourself don't respect the people around you? And this was a guy, well, he was in a gym, and he was contemptuous of everybody around him. And uh, he was he was uh, wailing away at the uh, this at the, uh, the early days of Iraq, and he was wailing away at the Muslims. Uh, and I'm saying to him, well, you know, uh, people who are raised with uh, a harsh religion, who can't think for themselves, behave in very bad ways, especially if those that lead them tell them to be violent. Uh, and and uh, I said, but the same is true of every religion. And at that point, he turned on me. Uh, and I said to him, I don't care that you're a rabbi, I don't care if somebody's a priest. You have to be held accountable, and you have to be responsible, and not wrap yourself in a flag or, or some kind of biblical tract and say, I am, uh, uh, I am right simply because I'm right. There has to be a give and a take. There has to be respect for the parish, the respect for the congregation, respect for the citizenry. But by the same token, the citizenry has to turn around and say, I demand this. And unless we've been raised to think that way, unless we have role models, it becomes extremely difficult to think that way. Uh, how many people I work with over my life, as students or as people I used to call patients or clients, were terrified at the very thought of saying to a parent or to a cleric or to a politician, that they disagreed, or a teacher, that they disagreed. Yes, you can disagree do it respectfully. You don't have to do it violently. But if you do have a different opinion, it's to be respected. But you have to respect yourself. And it was always, always so difficult for people who were raised for in blind obedience 
uh, on the one hand, or raised with no guidance at all because they would have no idea. Their skills weren't developed. Um, they were thrown out. You know, you're on your own. Do as you, you're going to do. Kind of raised in an anarchy for them to develop the kind of maturity that I have been describing here. Uh, let's see. I think that's okay. I think I've said what I want to say. I, I, I just wanted to add one thing, and that was uh, being a grandparent. Uh, if the struggle of the child is to become an adult and be able to look their own parents in the eye someday and say, I love you, I respect you, but I disagree with how you want me to live, and I'm going to live my life because they're my mistakes. And the struggle of the parent is to say, I love you and I respect you, and, and I want you to go on your own and find your own way, uh, but keep a relationship with us till the day we die. If that's the struggle, uh, then the third piece of this, at least for me, is becoming a grandparent because you, you really don't make the same mistakes a second time. Grandchildren uh, give you a kind of a second, uh, second crack at it, even though you don't have now control. You can't raise them. I mean, I don't want to raise my grandchildren. I don't know any grandparent who does because that would mean something terrible happened to your own children. But uh, when I'm with my grandchildren, I really see so clearly now that they don't have to reflect my needs or my values. They don't have to. I wish they would in certain ways. I love it when I see them say they're going to go to college someday or they learn to write and read well because these are my values. These are the things, the tools that I think make for a good life. Uh, although, I mean, yeah, I'm not being blind about that. There, you know, I, I see children who are good with their hands, and I admire that too. But when I see children becoming their own self and expressing their own desires, uh, I can see so clearly how I demanded of my children they become my extension to some extent. Uh, I guess my wife and I, I have to give more credit to my wife here than me, myself, uh, that my children do now make decisions and tell us about them afterwards. Uh, I don't have to worry that if I die or my wife dies or we both die, that our children will crumble or that our children will do anything but mourn. Uh, that, that's very important, that they are the parents of my grandchildren and, and effectively as parents, uh, maturely as parents. Uh, not in every degree, uh, but, you know, maybe they'll get a chance to be grandparents and they'll see and look back where they, they were restrictive or, or didn't discipline enough or didn't speak out enough because they were so worried about um, what other people might say or their neighbors or their friends. Uh, that they can say yes to their children and no to their children uh, when it's important. Yeah, okay, all the other kids have that uh, $200 sneakers, but I'm sorry, we're not going to buy those for you. They're simply not within our budget. I think that's an incredibly mature thing for a parent to be able to say. By the way, if the parent has the money, I think they should go buy it for the kid. The kid wants it, buy it. It's just within budget. Uh, I see parents do all kinds of things where, where they'll, you know, they can't pay the mortgage because they've been buying kids uh, things for kids that other kids have, uh, and the kid wants it to fit in. And their need to see their child fit in pushes them into this kind of economic distress. But as a grandparent, it's totally different. Maybe I should do a show sometime just on being a grandparent, but I don't even know how many people of, of uh, my great age are uh, uh, listening to this or do listen to this. 
In any event, uh, anybody want to call in? Anybody want to say hello? Teja vu, Teresa. Thank you for listening. Um, and Marion, of course. And I think I'm going to sign out now. I have a really beautiful bottle of Pinot Grigio. And it's coming up. Well, I have to wait a while. Actually, you know what? You don't even have to wait a while. Uh, I usually don't have my a, a glass of wine till 5 o'clock. But 5 o'clock is somewhere. It is 5 o'clock. I mean, you know. In Europe, it's now 10.30. That's too late to drink there. All righty, folks. Uh, I, may not, I may do the show next week. And then for the final two weeks in August, I'm going to be uh, traveling and going up to New York. And I probably won't do a show, although I'm going to take my computer with me. Maybe I will do a show, but I'll see. Any event, thank you all for listening. Those who will listen, I thank you in advance. This is Dr. Simon. Take care of yourselves. Bye.